Well, good morning, faith family. If you got a Bible, go to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus 20 is where we'll be this morning. While you're turning there, it's great to be back uh, with you this week. Was out uh, last week, and sometimes, sometimes God calls you to do difficult things and go to hard places. Some of you maybe experienced that. That's certainly true in ministry. And you know, last week was one of those weeks uh, where God just called me to a specific place and do some hard things for Him and for His glory. And um, I, yeah, just, you know, it's amazing when you do, <laughs> stop it, when you do, uh, when you do God's work, it's amazing how he just takes your uh, humble, feeble offerings and he multiplies it greatly uh, in, in abundance. And uh, another awesome thing is when you can do that kind of ministry with your kids. Uh, and so when you're kind of there doing God's call on your life with them, that's awesome. And so I just thought it was appropriate uh, that I start today by thanking you for giving me the freedom to express God's call on my life outside these walls. And so um, all God's people said, amen. Amen. All right. So I assure you no fish were harmed in that process as far as you know. All right. So it is good to be back with you and enjoyed some some time away. And uh, but this morning we are continuing in our series this summer uh, on the Ten Commandments. We're looking at one commandment every week and trying to get an understanding of that commandment in light of the gospel. Because, in fact, most of the feedback that I'm receiving from this series is saying, Pastor, I've never seen the Ten Commandments like this. It's always been kind of these ten moral things that you're supposed to do to be a good Christian. I've never seen how Jesus changes it, how he transforms the Ten Commandments. And that's kind of the question that we're asking. This morning we come to the fourth commandment. Exodus 20 and verse 8, that's where our focus is going to be. And since it's just pouring outside, I figure we'll take the next five hours and uh, get after it. So be careful what you wish for, all right? Exodus 20, verse 8, if you're able to stand, would you please do so as we honor the reading of God's Word? And let's, let's look at what God has to say. Verse 8, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor, do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you, your son, your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your livestock, or the sojourner who's within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that's in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Would you pray for me and with me as we ask God to just talk to us and really we need to hear what God has to say through this commandment. So let's ask it. Uh, Lord, that's our prayer. We come before you and plead that by your grace you would come talk to us and speak to us. That's, that's why we're here. Um, we believe that your word you breathed out. And so when we are serious about it and we come to it, or we, we, we trust that you'll speak to us. And I know um, we need to hear what you have to say in this commandment. So uh, these next few moments, Holy Spirit, uh, do your work for the glory of God. And we ask it in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. 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 You may be seated. 
Well, I was only seven years old when it happened, but I still remember those images uh, on the television. My, my parents and I, like so many Americans on that day, were absolutely glued to the TV. We were full of excitement, full of anticipation, but we were left with heartache and heartbreak and devastation. Uh, the setting was uh, Cape Canaveral, Florida. The date was January 28th, 1986. It was the day that seven astronauts walked onto the space shuttle Challenger for their mission, a mission that they would never fulfill. My guess is that some of you will remember how just 73 seconds into the launch, the space shuttle exploded in midair. Right there on television, no one survived. It was absolutely heartbreaking. I'm just curious, do any of you remember that? Yes, several of you do. And I just remember those images. And shortly after that, President Reagan appointed an investigation commission to find out what caused the accident. And what that commission determined was that there were two primary factors that led to the explosion. One was a mechanical error. The second, a human error. The mechanical error was a a malfunctioning, an O-ring that hadn't been tested in temperatures that were as cool as it was that January morning. The O-ring malfunctioned and let gas leak, which is what caused the explosion. But the commission also found that that mechanical error was only symptomatic of a human error. What they discovered was that the NASA officials responsible for the decision to launch hadn't slept in days. The report said, and I quote, the NASA employees were working excessive hours, which jeopardized their job performance, particularly when it came to making critical management decisions, like going ahead with the launch, even though they'd been warned about the O-rings. Point, though technically it was the rings that caused the explosion, the real reason was a lack of rest. My guess is most of us this morning, not not to that level, but most of us have experienced the negative consequences of lacking rest. For some of you, it's the reason you blew up at your spouse this morning. For some of you, it's the reason you failed the exam. Uh, For some of you, it was the reason you were involved in the car accident. For some of you, you know this, uh, it's the reason that moment you have at church, you know, when the pastor's up there and he's preaching an amazing sermon, a a life-inspiring, life-altering sermon, and you just kind of start dozing off to sleep, you know, and then there's kind of that moment when all of a sudden you wake up. And you're looking around to make sure the rapture hadn't happened or something like that. You know what I mean? Well, you've all kind of had that moment. In other words, everybody here knows what it's like to be tired. (laughs) To feel absolutely exhausted. (laughs) To so desperately want sleep. 
to feel absolutely drained. Everybody, <laughs> everybody knows that feeling. Can I get an amen? The problem is, and if you know me, you know this, that I'm the least qualified person to say what I'm about to say. The, the, the problem is, when we feel that way, we tend to want to keep driving, keep going, just like those NASA officials. We're not going to stop. We're going to keep working until we explode. And what you and I need to hear today, what you and I need to hear today is that God has created us for and commanded us to rest. That is, at least in part, what is at the heart of this fourth commandment. Look at it again in verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor, do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath, to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you, your son or daughter, male servant, female servant, livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. Now, if you're like me and you grew up in kind of a Christian background, a Christian home, uh, the, the extent of my relationship with the fourth commandment was it's why we went to church, it's why we couldn't mow the grass or go to Chick-fil-A on Sunday. That was about the extent of my understanding of the fourth commandment. And yet there is so much more, faith family, so much more that God has wrapped up in the Sabbath command. Here's what's at the heart of this. First of all, you need to know that the Sabbath commandment was something Israel was supposed to take very serious. It's a very serious commandment. It's the longest of the ten. That's telling. But also it came with a very serious warning. Exodus chapter 35 and verse 2 says this. Six days work shall be done, but on the seventh day you shall have a what? Talk to me. Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Now watch. Whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. It's a little much. In fact, there's a story in Numbers chapter 15 where there's a man found gathering sticks on the Sabbath and he is stoned because of it. He's put to death. I mean, I can understand that for murder, but the Sabbath, it's just a day of the week. It's just a little bit of rest. Why does God care so much about Sabbath? rest. Well, you need to know that the Sabbath command was the sign of the covenant that God was making here in the Ten Commandments. In other words, it, 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 was, it was part of the contract God is making with Israel, His people. To break it, listen, to break that sign was to break the covenant. And to break the covenant was the equivalent of looking at God and saying, to hell with you and the way you want me to live my life. God has wrapped up in this some very important things for his people. It is so much more than a day of rest. It's so much more about mowing grass. Wrapped up in this Sabbath command is first a rhythm of creation. Look again at verse 11. It says for, that is the ground or the reason for the commandment. 
In six days, the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea and all that's in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. In other words, God is saying, that's going back to Genesis 2, back to creation. God is saying, I worked six days and rested. You will work six days and rest. And if you look at the Sabbath and say, I don't want to do that, I'm not going to rest. What you're saying is, God, I don't want to image you. I don't want to be like you. I know this is your rhythm, and I know this is the rhythm that you've put within creation, but I'm going to live my own way. And not only that, why did God rest in the first place? He didn't rest because he was tired. He didn't rest because he was exhausted. He rested because he looked back on the other six days, and he reflected on his glory and all that was revealed and what he'd done. And what he's saying is, faith family, your soul needs that. You're so running with your nose down, your head down, your go, go, go all the time. Brother, sister, you got to look up. And behold God's glory that he has revealed around you. This is so much more than mowing grass on a Sunday. It's about creation. It's about imaging him. You were created to work. Don't forget the six days, by the way, lest you manipulate this sermon. There is six days of work, but you must also rest and you must also worship. Reflect on God. In other words, here's the summary. The Sabbath was God's way of building into their lives rest in God and reflection on God. But the Sabbath command wasn't just a rhythm of creation. It was also a reminder of redemption. It's another reason why this Sabbath command is such a big deal. Notice the phrase that gets added in Deuteronomy chapter 5 as it relates to the fourth commandment. This is Deuteronomy 5 verse 15. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, in light of your redemption, in light of your uh, salvation from Egypt, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. In other words, the Sabbath is a reminder that you're not a slave anymore. Because do you know what slaves do? They work every day. Do you remember what you did when you were Egypt? When you were in Egypt, you were working every single day. There was a slave master who was driving you into the ground. That is not what it is like to be in a relationship with me. You will have Sabbath as a weekly reminder that you're not a slave. In other words, rest is what will remind you you're not a slave any longer. You're not in slavery anymore. And you say, Pastor, you just don't understand. You know, you sit up there, you don't have a clue about my life. If I stopped for even just a moment, my business wouldn't be nearly as successful. If I stopped for just a moment, I wouldn't be able to have the kind of money I need to have. If I stopped for just a moment, I'd lose control. If I stopped for just a moment, the sermon wouldn't be as good hypothetically speaking, right? And it's almost as though God wants to say, I know, that's exactly the point. 
Maybe you need to experience those things so you'll remember who is really God. It's not you or your boss or your paycheck. It is the Lord your God. I want to remind you, you're not in Egypt anymore, and I will do that by commanding rest. I can't believe I'm about to say this, and there will be no one more convicted in the room than me, but I must say it. I think the text demands it. Here is the point. Workaholics are almost always idol worshipers. Ouch. And I don't know what that idol is. I, I, I trust that God will reveal that for us. It may be work itself, it may be the lifestyle we're trying to maintain, it may be the money we want to make, it may be the achievement we want to uh, to gain, it may be the respect from others, it may be that feeling of accomplishment. Oh, I love it. When you tackled the day and you feel so good. And not that that's a bad thing. Here's the thing you have to remember. Here's the thing I have to remember. Slaves never rest. And if you refuse to enter the rest God has commanded you to enter, it is like saying to him, are you listening to me this morning? Are you listening? I'd rather be in Egypt than in relationship with you. God says, I am commanding Sabbath because it's a part of creation's rhythm, because it will be a reminder of redemption that you're not in slavery anymore. And it's not just for you, it's for others. In other words, when you don't rest, the people around you don't rest. Look at verse 10. It says, the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God, and on it you will not do any work. You, but look, it goes beyond you. Your son or daughter or male servant or female servant or livestock or sojourner who's within your gates. In other words, uh, you have to understand this from an ancient Near Eastern perspective. In the ancient Near East, if the owner of the land works, guess who else works? Everybody. If the father works, guess who works? Everybody. There's no such thing as vacation time in the ancient Near East. If the landowner says, I'm going to work today, it's not like you can walk up and say, I got two weeks left on my vacation. I think I'll take a day off. No. When they worked, everybody worked. So God is saying, it's not just you, but it goes out even beyond you to others who are a part of your life. That's profound. Namely, if you're in slavery, you may very well take other people with you. And it may impact the relationships in your life. And that, that's true in business, that's true in church, and it's definitely true in parenting. Listen to this quote by Paul David Tripp. It's so good. Here's what he says, talking to parents. We begin to need our children to be what they should be so that we can feel a sense of achievement and success. We begin to look at our children as trophies and not God's creatures. We secretly want to display them on the mantles of our lives as a visual testimony of a job well done. 
Parents, this may sting. Please don't be the Egypt your kids dream of being free from because you never let them rest. Pastors, employers, team leaders, managers, do not be the Egypt that your employees or teammates or church members just can't wait to get out from under their slavery because you will not let them rest. God says, I have given you a Sabbath to remind you of my redemption. You are not slaves anymore. Amen? Here's the third reason why this is so important that God gives this Sabbath command is that it was also a reflection of future restoration. What I mean here is the Sabbath was the constant reminder for Israel that a future rest was coming. A greater day would be, uh, it was in the future. I'll give you one example of this in Joshua 1, uh, verse 13. Remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is providing you a, say this with me, a place of rest and will give you this land. In other words, as he's bringing them up out of Egypt, he's also pointing them to the promised land. There is a future rest that is coming. And of course, that is is reflective of even a greater Sabbath that's going to come even later on in redemptive history. The point here is that God is giving them a Sabbath, and it's not just about their week, it's about their future. That there is coming a day when there will be no more wars. Can I get an amen? Amen. When there will be no more sickness, where we will never hear again the word cancer. There will be no more conflict. The things that are wrong in life will be made right because we will find rest in a kingdom. That is what God is promising through Sabbath. And I don't want you to become so focused on now that you don't see what's coming later. So I'm giving you, I'm commanding you Sabbath. Do you see why this is a big deal? Talk to me this morning. That this is so much more than, man, I can't go to Chick-fil-A this afternoon. Or uh, can I mow the grass or not mow the grass? Or it's why you got to go to church. I mean, I mean, those are things that we could talk about. But it's bigger than that. It is that God has established a creation rhythm. God has established a redemption reminder. And God is pointing you to the future that he has in store for you. It is a blessing, not a burden. It is for good and not for guilt. It was made to refresh, not make a rule out of. Now, how do you think Israel did? They started off for a while doing pretty good, but eventually wiped out like every other commandment that they broke. In fact, I'll give you just one example of this. It was the reason why, this is interesting, hang with me, okay, right here, um, It's the reason they went into Babylonian captivity. The reason why they went into exile. You see it, for instance, in Nehemiah 13, verse 15. 
In those days I saw in Judah people treading wine presses on the Sabbath, bringing in heaps of grain and loading them on donkeys, and wine and grapes and figs and all kinds of offloads which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And so I confronted the nobles of Judah and said to them, what is this evil thing you're doing, profaning the Sabbath day? Did not your fathers act this way? In other words, this is the first time it's happened. And did not our God bring all this disaster on us and this city? Is this not the reason we were in exile? And here you are now bringing more wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath. Hey, everybody right here, this is just food for thought for your day this afternoon, okay? I don't have time to unpack it. But isn't it interesting that the very commandment that represented them getting out of slavery, it was their breaking it that sent them back. The very commandment that was to remind them you're not a slave anymore made them slaves again because they refused to listen and obey. But I am not that concerned about Israel's breaking of the Sabbath. I am much more concerned about ours because this is a room full of Sabbath breakers. And you're like, wait a minute, I'm here. Right? I know it's Sunday, but whatever, right? I'm not a Sabbath breaker. In fact, some of you might even say, of all the commandments that's listed here in the 10, this is the one that I haven't broken. After all, Pastor, I went to Sunday school. And uh, I know that uh, this is the only one of the 10 that isn't repeated in the New Testament. So I can't break the Sabbath because I'm not under the Sabbath. And you would be absolutely wrong. Right in that you're not under the Sabbath command the way Israel was. I would agree with you with that theologically. But I would say all of us, every one of us has violated the heart of the Sabbath command. And I'll give you four reasons. There are more than that, but I only have time for four. I really don't have time for four, but I'm going to give you four anyways, all right? Here's the first. We are Sabbath breakers. Number one, we don't rest Because we look to work to find our significance. We don't rest because we look to work to find our significance. And we know this is true because of how busy we are. Timothy Crider in the New York Times wrote a a piece some time ago called The Busy Trap. And what he writes here is so insightful. Listen and tell me that this doesn't sound awfully familiar. Quote, If you live in America in the 21st century, you probably have to listen to people tell you how busy they are. Anybody? It's become the default response when you ask anyone how they're doing. How you doing? Busy. So busy. Crazy busy. And then the stock response is kind of a congratulation. Well, that's a good problem to have. It's better than the alternative. The problem is, it's a boast. You need to hear this. It's a boast disguised as a complaint. Do you see that? It's a boast. I'm so busy. Do you have any idea how important I am? I'm needed. But you mask it and disguise it as a, man, my life is just so hard. And then he goes on and he says, it's interesting that the people who say this aren't the people pulling back-to-back shifts in the ICU or commuting by bus to their third minimum wage job. It's almost always the people, listen, whose lamented busyness is self-imposed. 
That is, work obligations they've taken on voluntarily, classes and activities they've encouraged their kids to participate in. They're busy because of their own ambition, drive, and anxiety. Listen, because they're addicted to busyness. And they dread what they might have to face in its absence. He goes on to say, busyness serves as a kind of existential reassurance, a hedge. He he channels his inner Coelith from the book of Ecclesiastes. Listen, Coelith always finds his way back in. (laughs) Even in the New York Times, right? And this is what Crowder says. He says, busyness is a hedge against emptiness. Obviously, your life can't possibly be silly, trivial, or meaningless if you're so busy, completely booked, and in demand every hour of the day. We are Sabbath breakers. And it's not just because we look to work for our significance, but secondly, we don't rest because we look to work for our ultimate satisfaction. That is, maybe you're like me and you love that feeling of I did it, I built it, I made it, I accomplished it, finished the manuscript, closed the deal, harvested the crops, got the kids to school, uh, and it just feels good at the end of the day. And that exhaustion almost is our satisfaction. Are you with me? That exhaustion is our, it's like I did something, I matter. And and there's a level in which being satisfied and that's a good thing. I really believe that. But when it becomes the ultimate thing, like I've got to have this feeling or I'm a nobody. That's when you're breaking the Sabbath. Now, if I haven't gotten you yet, I'll get you with this one. Because the first two may not be true for everybody, though most everybody. The third one is true for all of us. And that is, we don't rest because we look to work for salvation. Everybody does this in some way. Most Christians that I know, even good gospel-centered Christians like at Berean, right? Constantly, even though you know better, even though you know better, You constantly feel like you need to keep working to maintain God's love. In other words, your Christianity is a Christianity that never rests. You have to go after it for God seven days a week. Brian Chappell says it this way, after initially trusting in Christ to make them right with God, most Christians embark on an endless pursuit of trying to satisfy God with good works that will keep Him loving them. This belief makes the Christian life a perpetual race on a, listen, performance treadmill to keep winning God's affection. In other words, your Christian life looks like this. You wake up every morning, you get on your performance treadmill, and you're going to go do it for God. You're going to go work for God. You're going to make him happy again. This is going to be a good day spiritually. You're going to be better than you were the last day. And you'll eventually wipe out. You see, the truth of the matter is, God has already 
rescued you. He's already saved you. You don't have to try to save yourself again by your good works. Get off the performance treadmill. It is finished. You are as accepted the moment your eyes come open before you ever do anything for God. You're already loved as much as you will be at any point throughout your day. You don't have to work to feel like God loves you. That's been finished 2,000 years ago. Amen? Amen. Number four, if I haven't got you yet, and I have, I have gotten every one of you, you just don't know it. If I still haven't, number four is true for every human being. We don't rest because even when there is rest in your schedule, there's no rest in your soul. Um, it'd go like this. Pastor, this doesn't apply to me because I take vacations. I take a day off every week. I take two days off every week. Sinner. I have no problem with resting. I will sleep this afternoon. I'll take my Sunday afternoon nap and I will rest. Okay, that may be true. You may have some rest in your schedule, but you don't have shalom, peace in your life. You know how I know? Because when you come back from that vacation, the restlessness you thought you left is still there. And what you have to understand is that what God is intending in Sabbath was to go deeper than a day. It was to be shalom. It was to be peace among His people as they have entered into relationship with Him. We are Sabbath breakers. Most of us would rather be productive slaves in Egypt than to enjoy the day off God has created for us. What that means is... We need more than a Sabbath day. Listen, we need more than a Sabbath day. We need a Sabbath deliverer. It is clear at this point that to command a day is not enough. And by the way, that was the point. The Old Testament and our lives prove that we can't keep the kind of Sabbath that God intends, so we need more than a day. And God sent one. Mark chapter 3. Watch what happens here in the ministry of Jesus. Watch how Jesus transforms the fourth commandment. Verse 1. Again, Jesus entered the synagogue, and a man with a withered hand uh, was there. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath. That is, is he going to work? Is he going to break the Sabbath so that they could accuse him? And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And they said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? And they were silent. So he looked around at them with anger, grieved at the hardness of their heart. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was, everybody say it. I want it louder. His hand was, one more time, his hand was, that's telling isn't it? That there should be a light bulb going off 
in your mind right now if you've been paying attention. We'll come back to it. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel as to how they could destroy him. What's happening here? The Pharisees are fuming mad because of what Jesus just did. He healed a man's hand on the Sabbath. And do you know why they're so mad at that? Oh, you got to hear this. It's because they think Jesus just broke the Sabbath and they missed the whole point. Namely, Jesus didn't just break the Sabbath. He just brought Sabbath. Jesus just gave everything the Sabbath day was intended to give. He restored what was wrong. He brought restoration into this man's life. He demonstrated power over creation, just like you see in Genesis, because he is bringing ultimate redemption. He is about to lead the ultimate exodus out of Egypt, namely salvation. Point, everything the Sabbath was intended to do, Jesus did. And that's why in Mark 2 verse 27, right before this story, look what it says. And Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, that is to be a blessing, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Jesus just turned it on its head. How so? Here's the point. True Sabbath, true Sabbath is not following a specific pattern, but following a specific person. It's not a day, it's a deliverer, it's not a cleared calendar, it's a surrendered life. Meaning, and I need everybody, everybody hear this, the only way, the only way you are ever going to find rest, the only way you're ever going to find Sabbath rest is in Jesus Christ. It's the only way. A day won't do it. I'm terrified at the idea that some of you will leave today and the only thing you'll do, the only thing you'll do is think about your calendar. When the truth is, you should start with your heart. Because until you find Sabbath rest there, there ain't nothing you can do on the calendar that are going to give you the peace you need. It's Jesus that offers us spiritual rest. Spiritual rest. The author of Hebrews picks this up in Hebrews 4 verse 9. So then there remains a what? Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also, whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Therefore, let's strive to enter that rest. I don't have time to go through the whole book of Hebrews, but everybody here for just a moment. The whole book of Hebrews is basically making this point. Why would you go back to a system of works, the old covenant, when it's finished? Repeatedly in the book of Hebrews, the writer will say, the once for all sacrifice of Christ. It's done. It's finished. The work has been accomplished. So what's he talking about here in verse 4? He's saying this. Oh, this, are you listening? This is about to get good, right? Salvation is the ultimate Sabbath. The ultimate Sabbath is experiencing salvation in Jesus Christ. 
Because it means it's finished in your life. The ultimate work. In fact, I would argue that the reason you're so restless is because you're restless over this central issue, namely, how can I be right with God? And if you get being right with God, right and settled through salvation, the other things follow after. So get the day off that is salvation in Christ. And then here's what happens. Instead of trying to justify your rest, you'll rest because you're justified. And, you know, if I run into you at Walmart at noon, I'm so tempted to justify my being away. I'll say something like, uh, I was working, studying theology till two o'clock last night. Because there's that feeling like I've got to, I've got to justify myself. I've got to justify this day off, you know? But you're missing what salvation does in your life. Namely, I don't have to justify resting because I'm justified in Jesus. And I'm telling you, only Jesus can give you that. It's the only one that can give you that. And until that happens, there will be no rest. It's out of this that other rest come. And I don't have time to give you all of them, but I'll give you just a couple of others. One is vocational rest. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me all who what? Labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. When Jesus becomes your true Sabbath, when you're ultimately at rest in him, watch, this is important, you'll work hard, do your work as unto the Lord, and you'll rest well because you're not enslaved to what you do. What you do is not who you are. I wrote this this morning. Saturday night didn't get this, so you can tease them about it later, right? Um, Jesus is the difference between working like a slave in Egypt and working like a child of the king. Jesus is the difference between working like a slave in Egypt or America and working like a child of the king. In other words, a child of the king works hard because he loves the king, but he's free. Somebody say preach, preacher. But the other way is you work hard because you're enslaved to an idol. But that vocational rest won't happen until you get spiritual rest. Until you know it's finished, until you know you're justified, You'll always keep trying to justify yourself by what you do. And lastly, I can't leave this one out, is that it's Jesus that offers eternal rest. Remember, the Sabbath was intended to point to a future day of rest. Listen to John 14, 1. Uh, Let not your hearts be restless. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, oh, just oh, just stop for a minute and think about these words. I will come again. And I will take you to myself. Where I am, you may also be. Don't be restless. Don't be restless. Why? Because there is... An eternal Sabbath coming. An eternal Sabbath. 
And by the way, that doesn't mean we won't work. That's a whole other sermon for another day, right? What it will mean is for eternity, eternity we will rest in and reflect on God. And you won't need a job to keep you satisfied. He will be enough. Here's some takeaways today as we as we leave. Just quickly, very quick application. Um, jot these down if you've got something to write with. Number one, more than anything today, I plead with you to receive the true Sabbath. That is, do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Because you can take the next 20 years of your life off and you'll never have rest until you know Jesus. Do you know him? Are you a Christian? If not, today would you turn from your sin and put your faith in Him and may your real rest begin today. Secondly, is that you, and I know I say this a lot, but purposefully, you got to remember the gospel frequently. Remember the Sabbath was the weekly reminder that I brought you up out of Egypt, which means we need to at least weekly, if not daily, keep the gospel in front of our face. We have to be reminded whose we are, reminded of what he's done so that we won't slip back in to slavery. Remind yourself of the gospel. Thirdly, reserve weekly rest and reflection. Reserve weekly rest and reflection. And by the way, uh, I think this is why you must make church a priority. Absolutely. Not in some legalistic way, got to follow the rules, but you were created to reflect on the glory of God with the people of God. And therefore, this ought to be a time that is so valuable in our week so that we can experience Sabbath rest. Four, review your priorities. That is, are you spending time on the things that really matter? Are you spending time on the things that really matter? Or are you working so much in areas that won't ultimately matter at all? Lastly is relieve others. That is, as much as you can, breathe rest into other people. I don't know if this is even possible, and this is just one example that you'll need to think of other examples for your life. But like if you're an employer and you have the organizational freedom to just like walk into an employee's office and say, I want you just to take the next 30 minutes and just go, just go rest, just go breathe, go take a walk or whatever. My point is, um, Don't be so concerned about what they can produce that you have no concern for their soul. Look at people in your life and say, here's 15 minutes, here's 30 minutes, here's a day, to whatever you can do and just say, I want you to relax. Be as gracious to them as God has been gracious to you in giving rest. You with me? Think about this as we close. January 28, 1986, seven people lost their life because a group of people refused to take rest seriously. But as tragic as that was, it's actually not the greatest tragedy that's ever happened due to restlessness. 
The reality is we are just like those NASA officials who refuse to stop and rest in God. And listen, that is what led to the death of the Son of God. It is our refusal to rest in peace that resulted in the death of the Prince of Peace. But the good news of the gospel, and oh, it is sweet news, that because Jesus cried out from the cross, it is finished. The work is done. He offers to every one of us today real rest. Let's work hard to enter that rest. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word to us today. Um, You are a good and gracious God. I just love that image of the difference between being in Egypt and the difference in being in a relationship with you is you're a God that loves us so much, you breathe rest into our schedule and into our lives. I pray this morning that every person in this place would know that rest that you offer. If there's somebody here and they've never trusted Christ, I mean, they would say, I try to clear my schedule, but boy, my soul is always restless, always tossing, always turning. I pray this morning that they would turn to you by faith and receive Sabbath rest in Jesus Christ. Others in this room, we just needed this to expose the imbalance that's in our life and help us reflect you better, help us image you better, and help us um, not forsake the gift of grace that you're trying to speak into our life. We want you to be our God and nothing or no one else. So help us rest. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.